Great. Shall we pray before we get into, as Rob says, our final section in our current preaching series? Yeah, Father, I just want to thank you so much that we can enjoy your presence together. Thank you that you have given us a new song, a new song in our hearts. It's a song of hope. It's a song of joy. It is a song of victory over darkness. It is a song about mercies that are new every morning. It is a song about forgiveness and freedom in Christ. It is a song that will be sung for eternity. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord Jesus. And we just thank you for the opportunity to to give back to you, Lord. Our, Our worship, but also financially, Lord. Just pray a blessing on on what we've given, Lord. Again, may it be multiplied in your hands and used for your glory. And thank you, Lord, for your word. What a gift. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, just bring fresh revelation as we look again at your message of love to us. Amen. Amen. Great. Great to see you. So, yes, this is our last Week in our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. <clears throat> it's also my last sermon before I go on sabbatical, which is going to be uh, very strange, very strange. Um, for those who don't know, I'm going to be taking a step back from pastoring and leading the church for three months. Uh, I think what I'm going to miss most of all is simply worshipping with my church family. Just mornings like this just remind me, wow, what a privilege, what a blessing we have. But actually, I'm full of faith and full of expectation. We have a wonderful leadership team. Rob's going to be leading that over these next three months. And I really believe this is going to be a time of spiritual growth for the church. And for me as well, hopefully. really believe that too. And, and some people have been asking, what am I going to be doing on sabbatical? Um, firstly, very importantly, I'm going to be having a rest. Rest is good. Rest is important. We did a whole series on it not so long ago. I've also believed God's led me to some key areas that I'm going to be studying. Um, We're also, Claire and I have been asked to to write a book, so we're going to be looking into that and planning that as well. But I do want to say I'm very aware of the privileged position that I'm in in being able to take three months off. I know a lot of you going, well, I could do with three months off. Um, I'm very aware of it. I don't take it lightly. And I really want to use this time uh, to bless the church uh, in the maximum way. I really want to serve the church to the best of my abilities through this time. So I really would appreciate your prayers as well. And obviously, I'll be praying for you guys at this time. And also just to add that although I'll be stepping back from this role, uh, Claire and the kids particularly will be around still. They'll be coming with me as I visit some other churches occasionally, but we're not totally incognito. We are still around, just taking a step back from my current leadership position for these three months to have this break. And I really thank you. I really sense God's timing in all of this that actually God is going to use this to help strengthen and prepare all of us for the seasons that he's got ahead. So really full of faith, 
for it. Um, if you want to find out any more details, uh, please do ask me about it. No problem at all. But back to this morning. Um, I, I've been really enjoying this series and just seeing how all of Scripture is one united story about one person, Jesus Christ. And we've seen through this series how different parts of the Bible, different events, different people point to, foreshadow, pattern, if you like, the coming of Jesus Christ. Very quick recap. Right back in the beginning in Genesis 3, we see how Jesus is in fact the true and better Adam. He's described as the second Adam. Where Adam gave in to temptation, and through him, sin and ultimately death came to all mankind. So in Jesus, he resisted temptation, and through him, through one man, all receive eternal life and forgiveness. Moving on in the story, we see with Noah how the ark points to the fact that Jesus is the true ark that rescues us from judgment. With Isaac, we see that Jesus is the true substitute lamb who takes our place on the altar. With Moses, with God's revelation that he is the great I am, we see it points to Jesus declaring that before Abraham was born, I am. He is the fulfillment. He is the great I am who makes the way out of bondage and slavery to sin. He is the way. We looked at the Passover, didn't we, in Exodus 12, and we saw how the blood painted on the lintels points to Jesus' blood that covers us, covers all our sin. The Red Sea crossing, we see, it just points to the fact that Jesus alone is the way. He saves us through the waters of baptism, if you like. It's just pointing all the time to Jesus. With God's provision of manna in the wilderness, it points to Jesus being the true bread of life who sustains us. In Exodus 19, he's the fulfillment of the law. Praise God, we no longer look to rules and regulations as the path to righteousness, but we look to Jesus and his righteousness. He is the way. He is the path. With the tabernacle and then subsequently the temple, we see that it is now Jesus who tabernacles with us, who dwells with us by his spirit. We see that he is the one who is building us into a living temple. We're living stones where God dwells by his spirit. It's kind of what we're experiencing this morning in our worship. And last week, Rob uh, looked at King David. In fact, King Saul, King David, and King Jesus. But again, we see how Scripture testifies that the root or offspring of David will come, and he will be the true anointed King of Kings. Leaders come and go. But Jesus remains enthroned, sovereign, ruling and reigning over all things. And there were so many other areas we could have gone to. Maybe we'll come back to this at a later date. But there were so many other areas that point to Jesus, that foreshadow him, that pattern him. I hope you've got a greater picture The fact that all Scripture, as Jesus himself said, testifies about one person, and that is himself. His life, death, and resurrection are the fulfillment of Scripture. 
the fulfillment of the promise. You know, it's interesting. Did you know that only 12 chapters in the New Testament don't directly refer to the Old Testament? Only 12 in the whole of the New Testament don't actually refer to the Old because it's all one integrated story. God's plan of redemption and rescue through the person of Jesus Christ because of his abundant love for us. So we see him patterned in different ways, but we also see him promised right the way throughout Scripture. And really this morning, I just want us to finish on the simple fact that God is the promise keeper. He is the promise keeper and Jesus coming as he did at the time he did is proof that God is a God who keeps his promises. The thing with promises though is that they're only as good as the person who makes them. They're only as strong as the person who makes them. And it's been said we live in a culture of broken promises, an age of broken promises. You know, whether that's broken marriage promises, it's often now no longer till death do us part, it's now until we find irreconcilable differences. Broken promises. People in power that make promises they just can't keep. In fact, I googled famous broken promises just to see what came up. And in fact, first thing up is a list of US presidents and their broken promises. And it's pretty scary statistics because apparently, and this is not just our current US president, but right the way back, the average of kept campaign promises, the percentage runs into single figures. So below 10% of the campaign promises are kept. And of course, it's not just US presidents. Our newspapers are full of articles taking our own politicians to task over promises not met, not fulfilled. Of course, we're living now with our current prime minister stepping down because she couldn't deliver Brexit. And there's all sorts of reasons why. And we've got another leadership campaign starting And there's just going to be another set of promises. If I get elected, then I will do this and this will happen. We need to be careful what we say. Because so often we cannot deliver on the promises that we make. Even as a dad, I'm taken to task by my own kids over promises I have made. You know, sometimes they'll remind me of something that I thought I just said flippantly. But it'll be like... But dad, you promised. You promised. Anyone else had that cry? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, did I? Did I? We've got to be careful what we say. Because whether we like it or not, as mere human beings, we are not in control of our own circumstances. We cannot see into the future. There's also corruption in our hearts that, praise God, he is working on. But often we can make promises which can actually be given to manipulate or to curry favor with people, to sway people's affections, to promise the world, knowing full well, actually, this is more wishful thinking. 
And so we get used to broken promises, hollow promises. And we end up taking everything with a pinch of salt, perhaps getting a bit cynical. And there's very good reason for that a lot of the time in the age we live in, where actually people who lie, well, that's just been human nature now, isn't it? We get used to that. The danger is we can approach the promises of God with the same attitude, with the same attitude. So we read these incredible promises that God has given us. We've been singing about them. You'll never fail. That is a promise that we are declaring. That you are good. That is a promise that we are declaring. And yet so often we can go, we can speak it, but we don't necessarily live like we truly believe it. Will God come through for me? I don't know. Will God provide for me while I've been burnt in the past? I don't know. We might not voice these things, but we can live as if we don't believe them. Rather than living lives where we are overwhelmed with faith and hope, God, you promised you will come through. I believe you. You are faithful. We live lives where it's like, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll have a second option. I'll have plan B up my sleeve just in case God doesn't come through. And so really, my one message, very simple message this morning is basically God is not like us. He is the promise keeper. All his words come to pass because he is truth. He only speaks the truth and we can trust him. He is faithful. Unlike us, he is in control of all things. Unlike us, he does see the beginning from the end. And unlike us, there is absolutely no shadow of darkness in him. He does not manipulate. He does not curry favor. What he declares will come to pass. Will come to pass. In his time and in his way. And we see that right the way through Scripture. The beautiful gift of the Old Testament, as well as the New, is that the Old Testament reveals time and time again God's power and His authority and His justice and His holiness, but also His grace and His faithfulness. Time and time again, we see that there is absolutely no barrier, no wall, no difficulty that is too great for God to fulfill his promise. Absolutely none. We see that right the way through. What about when sin first entered the world? Did God suddenly go, whoa, okay, everything's changed now. My commitment to you, Adam and Eve, forget that. No, what does he do? He doesn't wipe creation and start again. He promises, he promises a seed, an offspring of Eve, who will one day crush the serpent's head, who will one day sort this mess out. Again, as we read through Scripture, is infertility an issue when he chooses Abraham and Sarah to be parents of a nation who will own his name? No, no. Isaac is born. Even though Abraham and Sarah have that plan B, just in case God doesn't come through, we'll help him fulfill his promise. We know what happens with Ishmael. God does not need help in fulfilling his promises. There is no barrier too great. 
Isaac is born. The promise is reaffirmed. Genesis 22, 17. God says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God's promises are big. They are big, way bigger than we can often imagine or begin to imagine. Moving on as we see this nation grow and then ultimately it becomes enslaved by Egypt, this foreign power. Is that an issue for God fulfilling his promises? It's like, whoa, okay, we've got an issue here. No, not at all. Again, as we've seen through this series, you know, plague after plague, God brings release. Once they're released, is suddenly the barrier of the Red Sea an issue with the pursuing army? The Israelites thought it was an issue. God, did you bring us out here just to kill us in the wilderness? They thought that was an issue. To God fulfilling his promises. To God, it wasn't an issue. He made a way straight through the Red Sea. He makes a way where there is no way. He is faithful to all that he has made and what he says he does. Last week, as I said, we looked at King David. And King David, far from perfect, flawed, but a man after God's own heart and a man who knew the character of God. He knew the character of God. That is why he could say in 2 Samuel 7, How great you are, Lord. There is none like you. Now do as you have promised. (laughs) I love that. There's such confidence in that. Come on, God, who is there like you? Now do as you have promised. He had full confidence, full faith in the promise-keeping God. He knew God would be faithful to his promise. He knew that nothing can stand in the way of God being true to his word. What about when we rebel? What about when we turn our back on the promise-keeper? Does that change things? Well, I think the the book of Isaiah is really helpful with this. Because in Isaiah, you can kind of divide it up into two parts, really. The first part, it describes the judgment of what happens when we do turn our back on God. And Israel experienced captivity. Ultimately, the destruction of Jerusalem, the jewel in their crown. Because sin, our sin, does have consequences. It does have consequences. You know, when we choose to walk a different path to the one that God has called us on, we're not going to be bearing fruit. We're not going to be bearing fruit. And yet, does God give up on them? No. No, he doesn't. Does our rebellion nullify the promises of God? No, it doesn't. And we see that in the second part of Isaiah. God reaffirming his commitment to this remnant now, this this shadow of what Israel was once before. He reaffirms his commitment to them, to this stubborn, totally undeserving people. People actually a lot like us. And listen to how he speaks to them. Listen how tenderly he speaks to this stubborn, rebellious 
people. In Isaiah 40, he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. These are the very words that John the Baptist used when he, when he recognized Jesus coming towards him as, as the Messiah. Here's the fulfillment of all the promises of God in the Old Testament. Here he is. He is the one we're to make a way for. It goes on, yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. And then the picture changes slightly. Verse 11 of Isaiah 40, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep and they're young. Just a beautiful picture of the tenderness and the love of our God to a rebellious, broken people. Just a picture of care and compassion. And it goes on, Isaiah 54, verse 10. Wonderful promise. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, and my covenant of peace be removed. What a promise. This is our God. Church, this is our God. You may be experiencing your whole world being shaken around you. Your landscape that you thought you once knew has now completely crumbled. If that's you this morning, the word of God to you is that his unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor his covenant of peace be removed. You know, as Claire was encouraging us during the worship, just to lay our challenges and our difficulties and our circumstances before God and declare, God, you are good. That is holding fast to this promise, this promise right here. Though the mountains be shaken, the hills removed, God, your love remains. Your promises are true. You are the promise-keeping God. I will trust in you. And so through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others, he brings messages of hope time and time again. And through these messages, we get a greater glimpse of who this Savior will be, who this Messiah will be. And as we just read very clearly in Isaiah 40, it says, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He himself will be the one to step into our mess. The ultimate fulfillment of the promises of God is that he gives himself to us. He gives himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate fulfillment. God came good on his promise by giving himself. You know, Jesus didn't just come to kind of identify with us so he could understand where we're at. He didn't just come to do that. Neither did he just come to model the way to live. Actually, Jesus came to do what we could not do for ourselves. He came to live that perfect, righteous life and to die as that perfect, spotless sacrifice for the sins of the world. He came to do what we could not do. 
to restore our relationship with him because he is faithful to his word even when we are unfaithful to him. It says in the Bible, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is such a faithful, faithful God. And yet we can still read these promises of God through our own set of filters, if you like. We receive a promise from God, and then we can be quick to define its timescale. We can be quick to define its shape and what this fulfillment looks like. And the danger, of course, of that is we can become very disillusioned when that fulfillment doesn't come quite in the way we expected or in the timescale we expected. And, And equally, we can miss the fulfillment altogether because it's simply not the way we had planned or expected. And I think Scripture teaches us three very simple things about God fulfilling His promises. Firstly, we've already touched on this, God's fulfillment is way bigger than we expect. Way bigger. And I think the reason is is because so often we place ourselves in the center of the fulfillment of that promise. We live in such a a, a self-centered culture, and it does have an impact on us. We receive a promise from God, and we go, wait, I'm right in the middle of that. Thank you. That's all I can see. It's all how I'm going to be blessed. And we can forget that actually there is a way bigger picture at work. Yes, God is intimately involved in all our lives, and he doesn't withhold any good thing from us. But we are not in the center. He is. Jesus is in the center, and it's all for his glory. We are blessed as part of a bigger picture. And a great illustration of this, again, is back in Isaiah, Isaiah 49. It's one of the servant songs, so-called servant songs, speaking prophetically about Jesus. Hundreds of years before he came. And it says, this is God speaking, it is too small a thing for you talking about Jesus, the Messiah to come, to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Now, Israel had lived with the promises of God for their restoration for years and years and years. But their interpretation of that fulfillment was way too small, was way too limited. God's plan was always bigger than simply restoring Israel back to their land and back to their life. Again, linking right back to Genesis, Genesis 22, God's plan was always, always to restore the whole world and to bless every nation, every tribe, every tongue. You know, the the enemy wasn't just the current superpower of of the day. It wasn't Babylon. It wasn't Rome. It was sin and death itself. That is the bigger picture. They had too smaller understanding of what that fulfillment of the promise would look like. Their blessing was actually part of a, a global blessing. That's what Jesus had in mind. And we need to be careful we don't limit God's promises to just what we expect or what will affect us or simply what we have faith for because his ways are higher than our ways. 
We're part of a bigger picture. Secondly, and it kind of ties in with the first one, God's fulfillment is different to what we expect. Again, who did Israel think that the Messiah would be? Well, he'd be a mighty warrior, wouldn't he? He'd have to be to overthrow this this empire that they are struggling under. He would come as a mighty warrior, glorious in battle, and he would send the enemy fleeing. And yet again, Isaiah shines a very different light on a very different picture. Isaiah 53, another servant song about Jesus. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. He wasn't celebrated. And we held him in low esteem. Yet surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We're healed. A very, very different fulfillment to the promise that they were expecting. Don't miss the fulfillment of God's promises because they don't look quite how you were expecting. I mean, for example, there's that wonderful verse, Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We love that verse. But I wonder what we define as good. God works for the good. What do we define as good? Do we have quite a narrow understanding of good? Is it my comfort? Is it my success? Is it my wealth, my bank balance? What is it that you define as good? Could it be that actually God's ultimate good for you and me is to make you more like Jesus. Is that his ultimate good? I believe it is. And I believe scripture teaches that is his ultimate good for you and for me to make us more like Jesus. To be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And you know what? He uses these different challenges in our life. We say, God, you haven't come through on your promise. Actually, these can be the very things that God is going to use to fulfill his promise to make you more like his son. It's a bigger understanding of the fulfillment of God's promise. Ultimately, he is wanting to sanctify us, to shape us and prepare us for eternity, not give us a comfortable life. He has bigger plans for us, way bigger. Don't miss God's answer because it looks different to our own limited expectations. And thirdly, God's fulfillment, very importantly, is always, always on time, even when it's not quite when we would expect. And again, we see this with the people of Israel. After several years, many years of God bringing word after word through his prophets, started off with words of warning and then words of comfort, there was absolute silence 
for 400 years. Generation after generation, nothing, nothing. Can you imagine how testing that time must have been? God, did we hear you right? You know, were those prophets just nutcases? I mean, they were a bit weird. I mean, that Jeremiah guy, he's a bit of a freak. Maybe they just, that's all they were. It was just wishful thinking. You know, give us a bit of a boost during the, the hard time. Maybe they put it onto God. God, is your arm too short? Is your ear too dull to hear? And yet, we have the benefit of knowing that just at the right time, Jesus came. Jesus came. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so we might receive adoption as children of God. In the fullness of time, not a moment too soon, not a moment too late, just at the right time, Jesus came. Jesus came. God came good on his promise. You know, whatever promise you are waiting for today, please know that God is always on time. He knows the whole picture. He knows the beginning from the end. And he is working all things for your good. Because all his promises are wrapped up in Jesus Christ. That is the crux of the matter. Why can we enjoy these promises? Because all the promises are wrapped up in Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, we've seen in this series, it's all been about Jesus. It's all about his story. And the amazing thing about it is that we get invited into his story. Because all these Old Testament promises, the covenants that he made to the people of Israel... These promises are now ours in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says very clearly, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. That is why it is through him, and this is Paul speaking to a predominantly Gentile, non-Jewish church, it is through him we can utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God are now ours in Jesus Christ. How does that work? Well, Jesus, right before his arrest and crucifixion, during the Last Supper, he stood up and he took that cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new covenant that Jeremiah foresaw and prophesied about and Ezekiel and Isaiah too. It's the new covenant that Jesus inaugurated This cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, for all Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, slave, free, who put their trust in Jesus' blood to pay for their sin and who receive that forgiveness, for everyone who does that, these promises are yes for you. They are yes and amen. You know, for example, another well-known verse, Jeremiah 29 For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a favorite verse of many. You know, that was given to a people who were in captivity, who had lost everything. 
who had no hope, who thought they had no future. And God says, no, 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 I still have plans for you. I still have plans for you. That promise now applies to us in Jesus Christ because in Christ, we now have a hope and a future. And no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And there is promise after promise. I just literally grabbed the first few that came into my head. You know, God says he will fight for you. His hand will not be against you. He gives strength to the weary. He says, do not fear, I am with you. He says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. He promises to pour out his spirit on all flesh. He promises that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. He promises that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promises that his grace is sufficient for you. There's some people who need to hear that this morning. He says, my grace is enough for you. I have given myself to you. My strength is enough for you. My peace is enough for you. My wisdom is enough for you. It's enough. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, but as you read through these promises, please don't filter them through your own limited assumptions and expectations and time scale. And please don't disqualify yourself. Because of your unworthiness, remember that these promises are wrapped up in Jesus. You know, yes, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it was about blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Yet we are in a new covenant in Christ by his blood, and he was perfectly obedient to his father. He perfectly fulfilled the law. It doesn't say here that the promises of God find their yes in your good deeds or your works. Praise God it doesn't say that. It says the promises of God find their yes in Jesus, in his righteousness. And Paul, one of his favorite phrases is that we are in Christ. We enter into Christ's inheritance. We enter into his promises. We enter into his story. And we enter into his victory. We have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to celebrate. And we have a lot to place our hope in. As I go on sabbatical, I can't think of a better thing ringing in all our ears than it's all about Jesus. And I don't know if you guys have seen, but I'm really pleased you guys are going to be going through Luke. I'm so chuffed Rob has chosen that as a focus for you to go through because, again, it will help us fix our eyes on Jesus, who he is, and who we are called to follow. It's all about him. And, you know, we can so easily complicate matters of faith. But what it all boils down to is that we have a Father in heaven who is dedicated to glorifying his son by bringing many children to glory and making us like him. And ultimately, that is going to be a promise that will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. 
We will be like him, for we will see him finally as he is. That is the ultimate fulfillment. I'm going to stop there looking at time. If I can invite the band back.